Hello and welcome, baseball fans, to episode 25 of Banished to the Pen podcast, the official podcast of the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog written by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast, where we discuss all things baseball and, in doing so, hopefully, will not do so poorly as to have to ask for forgiveness of our ancestors. I am not Ryan Sullivan, the Baron of all baseball podcasts, but Ryan will return next time. Today, we are thrilled to have on the podcast two returning guests, live from Blaine, Minnesota, is Matt Trueblood of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Matt. Hi. And live on his patio in Aurora, Colorado, it's Mikey Poli of Banished to the Pen. Hello, Mikey. Hey. Hey. Hi, what's up? Hey, what's it's up? It's not really Aurora. I've told you that. Oh, sorry. It's okay, not... we don't have to get into it on the podcast. It's not an amusing anecdote. It shouldn't be on the podcast. <laughs> Forget I said anything. Okay. From near Aurora, Colorado. But, <laughs> but you are on your patio. I am. That's accurate. That is accurate. Patio. Is, is the sun still up in Aurora, Colorado right now? Uh, it's setting right now. It's would, been really hot. I don't like it at all. Would are you are you in are you in uh, in civil twilight or are you in the the stage that's after civil twilight? What civil twilight? I've never heard that before in my life. Well, aside from being a weaker than song, it's also like <laughs> it's the point of it's the point where the sun is like below the horizon but it's still light out and it's it's this uh it's this time oh, okay. of day where a lot of uh a lot of accidents happen or actually that might be terror twilight which is a pavement album but they that's, might that's, they might be my favorite pavement album. <laughs> okay i think it's most uh, people's is that the magic favorite. hour or is that different what's the magic hour is the magic hour the first like hour of sunrise like when the sun first comes up is that what magic hour is oh goodness i uh the first and last hour of sunlight during the day per google magic hour okay yeah and it's when uh, it's it has to do with uh it looking uh very magical <laughs> photographically yeah yeah okay all right do we do we have any uh do we have any uh uh non sunlight related banter today <laughs> um i I had uh, I, w- I was gonna pick your guys' brains about the Yasiel Puig news from today. Oh man, it was like Puig! <laughs> from uh, it was like from excerpts of um, Molly Knight's book about the Dodgers. I guess like everyone on the Dodgers is mad at Yasiel Puig, and like there's a story <laughs> from the book, and I just read the you know uh, passing article summarizing these, so I don't know, but it's like. Um, they were like in Chicago uh, on the team bus, and at one point, like they were doing a thing where like the rookies had to go in to like a pizza place and get pizza for the vets. So like they were parked in the team bus, you know, just like hanging out. And Yasiel Puig goes outside the bus and he goes to like the luggage bay, you know, like he pulls up the thing to like look for his luggage, like I don't know, maybe get his iPod or whatever, and like. So, like, the rookies come back with the pizza, and everybody's, like, ready to go, but Yasiel Puig's still, like, looking around in the luggage bay. And, like, at some point, this goes on for so long, apparently, at some point, Zach Greinke, who, you know, Zach Greinke, he can be a little, you know, not, like, the nicest guy sometimes. So Zach Greinke leaves the bus, goes over to Puig, really angry, grabs apparently a random suitcase and throws it out in the middle of the street in anger. <laughs> oh, my like, God. 
But, like, this is presented in the passing article, and I presume in the book, as, like, everyone's, like, on Granky's side with this. Like, you know, nobody thought, like, Granky was acting weird. It was all like, yeah, Puig, what are you doing? Like, Zach Granky literally threw a suitcase onto a public street, and everybody was like, come on, guy, not Zach Granky. <laughs> in downtown <laughs> Chicago, presumably, too. In downtown, yeah. Like this is this is probably this is presumably a, a a busy area and f- yeah this is presumably a busy area. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, and and there's another thing about like how like at one point he was dating the daughter of like one of the like one of the Dodgers uh, instructors or minor league managers or something. Everybody's like, "Yo, you don't do that, man," and like stuff about how like he doesn't work out a lot. It's all very bizarre. <laughs> Actually, like, I, I, I think uh, I think my favorite part of the story was that uh, one of the minor league clubhouse managers gave him number sixty six, like like yeah. he, as a reference to six six six, like he, <laughs> which is which and six 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 is a re- is a recurring topic on uh, in in Banish to the Pen, by the way. Uh, but but I think that's all the more appropriate that it's now tied to Puig. Yeah, and it's. It's, I guess, like, people are just, they're just mad that he doesn't do things, like, the right way, but it's also, like, he's, you know, been in American baseball for, like, just three years, like, barely three years, you know? Yeah, well, and even less at the time of all of these incidents, for the sound of it, so. Yeah, and it's, like, I don't think Cuban baseball is, like, very, you know, I don't know. It's it's all very weird, and I really hope the Dodgers trade Yadasi Elpui because I don't like the Dodgers. But that would be <laughs> no. I I hope they I do hope they trade him to someone I like a little more. I do hope I, they trade him to someone I like a little more, and for and and for an underwhelming haul. I think that would be the best if they like <laughs> if they like sold low somehow on La, on, on Yasiel Puig. Could you imagine if like somehow? Like the angels got Yasiel Puig, oh, God. that would like send me into like an existential crisis because I would <laughs> not know how to feel about the angels. Yeah, that'd be. I, Puig is. I do think he behaves sort of strangely, and I get that. I mean, it's not just Cubans. Uh, veterans tend not to have much patience for rookies who don't immediately know their way around across the board mm-hmm. yeah but what's so interesting to me about the whole thing is that it kind of feels like no one in that dodgers clubhouse liked anyone in that dodgers clubhouse um i i'm just hearing these stories for the first time which is fun for me um <laughs> i didn't read the article that passon wrote but i do follow Molly Knight on Twitter, and what she's alluded to more than once is that really no one on the Dodgers liked Hanley Ramirez at all either. Actually, it, and it so, references yeah, that in the, in, the in the article. In the article, it yeah, references in the article, this. they talk about like a team meeting where, like, a team meeting where I guess people were just like you know yelling at Puig, and at one point <laughs> Hanley Ramirez says, "One of my regrets is that you know." All like throughout my career, people didn't like me because of the way I played the game. As like a you know, like a warning young Jedi thing, you know. (laughs) And everyone gets awkwardly quiet because they're like, "Oh, we still don't." (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but no, that's super true because it's a clubhouse with like you know Yasiel Puig, Hanley Ramirez, 
Zach Greinke, and you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if like Adrian Gonzalez isn't like the you know cuddliest person on earth or anything. You know, you'd be kind of surprised if he is. Yeah, I I agree. Um, what a little part of me, and I, I'm sure this is going to be a great book. I I intend to read it at some point. A little part of me is sad that it's been written already. Because don't you feel like this book used to be written 10 years after the whole team broke up? And we got to yeah. see the fighting and who was the real jerk and who was the one that everyone just thought was a jerk. Who ended up being the hero of the team. And when, I'm saying when, but I guess the, the crucial question is if they end up winning a World Series out of it. Because I don't know how many of these types of books you guys have read, but I love, like... The Machine by Joe Posnanski about the 75 Reds uh-huh. and uh, David Halberstam's books on like the 49 Yankees and, and Red Sox and these just fascinating, colorful characters who are brawling all the time and, you know, going back and forth. Sometimes it seems like one is not committed enough and then they end up coming through in the end or whatever the stories are. But it's like these stories all just sound kind of disheartening and and just bad because they didn't end up winning anything or they haven't yet. Right. Uh, right, you know, right, there, right. There's no fuzzy feel good at the end of the story. It's just like, oh, and then the Cardinals knocked them out again. <laughs> That's yeah. true. It's all it's yeah. all written without knowing their peak, without knowing what they like. We all think we know, like. Like, at the beginning of the season, you look at the Dodgers and you say, you know what, this team is really good, they'll probably win the West. But then, like, we, we, these stories are all being written with, you're right, Matt, without that benefit of knowing what their, what their peak is. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not like, even a thing, I assume it's not going to be a thing, like, with Moneyball, where, you know, the fact that the, you know, winning is elusive is, like, part of, you know, the point you know, no, like the I, utility is part of the theme, you know, yeah. like, it's the Dodgers, there's no reason for them to feel futile, you know, like, it's, <laughs> like, they didn't win the World Series, because they thought Chris Perez was going to be good, you know, like, that's, that's it. Yeah, it, it definitely doesn't feel like, like, if they don't win a, a ring, the narrative is way different for them than it is for the A's, for instance. Yeah. I think uh, going back to uh, Hanley Ramirez as the sort of Jedi Master telling Puig <laughs> what, you know, show it, trying to show Puig the ways of the Force, I, I feel like Puig is positioning himself as Anakin in this story and that he is, he is on his way to the dark side. And I... Oh, you think? Uh, yeah, and I think, and I, and I, and I feel like when Puig goes full dark side is when I will reach full, appre- a full appreciation of Puig. <laughs> you, you, you like expect Puig to have like cranky old man thirties, like Kobe or something where he's yeah. like mad at everyone all the time. Yeah. But, but still kicking ass. And so not like, so not like modern Kobe where he's, uh, where he's hurt every season. Like, Right, you know, uh, Kobe, where he's mad at everyone, but maybe he has one friend. Like uh, he has, <laughs> he has, uh, he has his Pau Gasol on whatever team he gets traded to for <laughs> for less value than he's worth. Not that Friedman would do that. Maybe Friedman wouldn't do that. But you know, there's 
maybe if, if no, people, I mean, if people end up if people end up hating him too much, you know. Yeah. I mean, you guys know where he's going to be, right? Oh god, are you going to say the Yankees? No, no. It, who the he's going to be a Cardinal. And the Cardinals oh, are god. just going to beat oh, oh, god. the Cardinals are just going to oh. beat the Dodgers <laughs> in the National League Division Series every year between now and Yaziel Puig's 50th birthday. Wait, but Matt, but Matt, if... I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say that the Cardinals were just going to beat the fun out of Yasiel <laughs> <laughs> But but Matt, but Matt, if Puig doesn't play the right way, then he has no place on the Cardinals. Well, yeah, except the Cardinals don't actually care about that. It's their fans yeah. and the national media who who uh, suckle at their teat. It I mean, Johnny Peralta is like the hero of the Cardinals season. And a year ago, John Morosi wanted to, I think, tar and feather Johnny Peralta because uh, he had been the guy who did steroids and still got to play in the postseason. So, yeah. I mean, the Cardinals don't actually care. It's I'm just sorry. everyone I, around them. I, so, into I don't know. I could imagine Matheny threatening to, like, bench Puig in favor of Randall Gritchuk or whatever God, to teach him a lesson. That seems like a thing <laughs> Matheny would do. <laughs> Well, you know, Grichuk was uh, Grichuk was drafted ahead of Mike Trout, which on the Arizona Diamondbacks would mean that he that's his value, which <laughs> means he would have that starting spot. That, it sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, uh, checks out. Yeah, story checks out. Story checks out. Um, um, how how do you? I'm sorry. Um, how do you guys think that Clayton Kershaw navigates that clubhouse? Because Clayton Kershaw. I think is like the most affable human being on earth, you know. Probably, I would, I would think, I would think very, very quietly, and just a guy who goes and does his thing every five days. Yeah, he seems like the quiet guy that everybody likes. I mean, he, this is the guy who goes. He spends like every other off season building an orphanage in Africa, <laughs> uh, which sounds like a, yeah. a good person mad lib, yeah. but it's actually yeah. true. I, I don't think he's. You know, I think he's quiet enough by nature and sort of awkward enough that he just stays out of trouble and and is a nice guy. You know, yeah. that makes him a really boring lead character in in the next Dodgers book. But right, you don't think he's like the guy that when like Hanley and or and Granky are like yelling at each other, he like files up. You're like, hey, everybody, let's chill out. <laughs> I absolutely think he does with that half smile that he does in every picture ever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know my um my favorite um little factoid from an athlete uh magazine profile ever is What's it that? was a Clayton Kershaw profile in ESPN the magazine a few years ago and it was it was just this little like tossed off little sentence about how He's like talking to Zach Greinke, I think. I think it was Zach Greinke, and he was like, "Hey, did you see that? Uh, did you see that Jack Butt movie?" <laughs> oh God! Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite thing ever. Uh, wow, Jack Butt. I mean, that's that's what he is, though. He's he. He voluntarily dresses himself 
the way <laughs> your mother dressed you for church when you were nine years old, like every day of his life. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's Kershaw. I don't know. He and Bumgarner are one hilarious and and wonderful, but also just hideously boring uh, pair of studs out there. I guess. I guess. I guess. I like how he was like he's like he saw it, even though he knew it was <laughs> and he knew that so like you know he's not gonna say the thing. It's like he like knowing that information, he didn't like just think, oh no, that's not for me. I'm not gonna see it. He still saw it. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that's what the nine-year-old kid who goes to church every Sunday does. Then he he's gotta yeah. keep a little street cred with his friends, so. He sits uncomfortably through the water boy and goes, yeah, hilarious, guys. <laughs> I sat uncomfortably through the water boy as well. Yeah, we, we all did in hindsight. Yeah, was, yeah that was, that was a quite, quite an experience. Quite an experience. Um, uh, did uh, Oh, uh, real quick, I want to give a shout-out to... Uh, to one of our our banished to the pen contributors, Ju- Julian Asseline, who uh, has started writing for Baseball Prospectus Milwaukee. So he is in the BP family with you, Matt. Yeah, hey. very cool. So that's, that's remember the last time we did this. I'm sorry. No, what what, what happened? And we last talked time? about Cuban players. No, it wasn't the last time. It was the second to last time. It was. Before the Snowpiercer thing we did, that Matt uh-huh. wasn't there for. So yeah, it was the last time, uh-huh. and we talked about Cuban players, and it was about it was like when Matt got hired at Baseball Prospectus, and we talked to, and like I made a joke, or I think Brandon, you made a joke about Baseball Prospectus, like you know, taking all of us, like you know, MLB is doing with the Cubans, and it's true, <laughs> it's literally happening. And it's true. Um, so Ju- Julian has a couple of pieces up right now at BP Milwaukee. Go check them out. Uh, actually, I uh, as I'm pulling it up, I only see one, but I thought there were two. Um, but he just wrote about Brewers' uh, ticket prices today in a pretty uh, pretty interesting article. So check it out. We'll post a link to it in the uh, in the on our Twitter probably. Um, I could do that after this episode. All right, awesome. Uh, any other any other pieces? I have I have a I have a topic for us, but uh, there was a there was a Manny Machado Nolan Arenado note. Oh yeah, I wanted to get. I have I have not heard the official Matt Trueblood take on Machado v Arenado. Well, uh, my take is I want the guy whose knees haven't exploded. Uh, at least haven't exploded yet. <laughs> it's a good choice, Matt. So, yeah, I, I don't think I'm probably the high guy on Nolan Arenado in the entire world. Uh, I just like everyone else in the world. I don't know what to do with hitters at Coors who have only ever been at Coors, and sometimes their splits look like they're all Coors, and sometimes they don't. I have no idea what to do with that. But he's a great fielder, and he's clearly a talented hitter uh and machado yeah two major knee injuries by 23 is is not where i want to start okay that's good you know he has the most uh road home runs in baseball i think aaron yeah well at least he's got 
Yeah, it's 15 on the road, right? And only nine at home. Yeah, yeah, nine at home, yeah. Yeah, but last year it was also like 15 at home and two on the road or something like that. So Right, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, Carlos Gonzalez did this for a while, too, where it looked like he was purely a Coors creation, and then suddenly he wasn't anymore. And I right. just, I, I don't know whether to trust that or to toss that or anything. I don't know. Do you think that might be, like, an actual thing of, like, hitters at Coors and, like, you know, they hit so well at Coors that, like, it might just be, like, some, like, a mental thing at some point that, you know, they feel better hitting on the road? Or do you think it's the opposite happens? Well, yeah, I think, like, maybe 15 years ago or so, Prospectus had some study that sort of showed a Coors hangover effect where, like... It wasn't so much that guys were just raking because of the ballpark at Coors, but they were actually performing below their true talent level on the road because of the altitude or something about Coors kind of made it harder to hit yep. in other places. Uh, I, think and the, then, I think the consensus is that uh, breaking pitches move differently. Right, right. And so maybe it messes with your eyes and maybe maybe guys handle that differently over the course of a career as they try to make adjustments. I, yeah. yeah, I I wouldn't rule out that it is real. I just also, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna stay really wishy washy and say I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, if you ever do like the person who figures out, you know, what the deal is with Coors Field, that's I mean, you know, there's probably a job waiting for you somewhere. Uh, there's the job waiting. I mean, <laughs> the yeah, Rockies right, general yeah. manager job is. It's a guy in a chair waiting for the person who comes up with a solution. Like, course run deal. through his door and be like, I figured it out. Yeah, get up. <laughs> yeah. That's mine now. I mean, you can really just do that. <laughs> I, I don't, I think even he would go, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. It's like some like medieval king thing where like you come in and like you have a better claim to the throne. So he's like, you know what? Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Huh. I was kind of envisioning an Inspector Gadget sort of. Uh, sort of scenario where all you can see is someone's hand, but then when you turn the chair around, like there's no one there. It's just a hand, uh, <laughs> and and that's that's what gave Mike Hampton 120 million dollars. <laughs> it wasn't a brain, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, it from the Adams family. It's <laughs> accurate. All right, that was fun. Um, what I wanted to talk about today, uh, and I'll, I'll throw this out there to, uh, to the two of you. So about a year ago this time, we're recording this on, uh, on the evening of June 30th, but uh, we have the 4th of July coming up this weekend. Um, and last year on the 4th of July, uh, I think it's safe to say that that is the day that baseball trading season really opened up. That was the day of the... Cubs and A's blockbuster that had uh, Jeff Smarja and uh, Jason Hamill going to the athletics for Addison Russell and Billy McKinney and uh, Dan Straley coming back to the Cubs. Uh, And then, you know, trade season sort of progressed from there. So what I wanted to do is kind of get into trade discussion uh, maybe a little early, a little before uh, maybe other folks do, and just have us all pick a team 
that we think is buying at the deadline, pick a team that we have selling at the deadline, and pick a team that we have standing pat at the deadline. Uh, how does that sound? Sounds, Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Sounds fun. All right. I hope it is. Let's see how it goes. Um, let's start. Let's start with you, Matt. Who do you have as a team that is buying right now? Sure. Uh, I think. I think the Yankees should be buying. Um, and buying. Obviously, they should be buying because they're, they're seriously the in contention. But well, and they're the Yankees. I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I I am behind the idea that they should buy pretty aggressively this this coming month. Um, it's an old team, and it might not be as good a team as they've appeared to be so far. But I look at a bunch of guys. I mean, even the guys you sort of think of as the younger half of the core. Brian McCann, Brett Gardner, Jacoby Ellsbury, all 31 years old. You know, Chase Headley is 30 or 31. These guys aren't getting younger, and they're also not going away anytime soon. Uh, I think you you kind of want to push in your chips with this group while Alex Rodriguez is still good and Mark Teixeira is still alive, and uh, see what you can do with this group, knowing that they just did... Uh, unprecedented things at least for the moment in the latin american market over the last year so you're not gonna blow a hole that you that your farm system can't recover from um but you're also not going to miss the opportunity that's presented by a stronger start than anybody expected certainly than i expected so i'll say the yankees all right is it starting pitching for the yankees is that what you think they need yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, obviously there's a thorny issue in, especially like, what do you do with CC Sabathia? Because he's horrible. He's horrible and he can't get right handers out. Like ideally you could move him to the bullpen, change the 20% of his opposing batters that are left-handed as a starter to 50% and make him awesome. But you also can't move CC Sabathia into a loogie role. So it's, it's a tough needle to thread. Um, but yeah, I think they, they need to be adding to the rotation first and foremost. Yeah. Well, they do get Ivan Nova back this week. Yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. It is definitely, <laughs> it is definitely a thing. Ivan Nova. That's a human being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is a carbon based life form who plays baseball. Interesting story about Ivan Nova. There used to be a Chevy Nova that they tried to sell in Latin America, but it means doesn't, Nova means doesn't go in Spanish, and so it didn't sell. And that story's not really about Ivan Nova, but I don't think Ivan Nova's going to go anywhere, so it kind of is. Oh, that came all together at the end there. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Mikey, do you have a uh, do you have a team that you see as a buyer this deadline? Uh, yeah, I think uh, the Texas Rangers would uh, do well to buy and maybe buy pretty aggressively. You know, I think they're in a situation where you know the AL Central isn't as good as people thought it was going to be, and the AL East. Uh, you know, like the Red Sox aren't as good as people thought they were going to be. And even, you know, the Angels and Mariners aren't as good as they thought they were going to be. So I think there's a real opportunity here for the Rangers. Um, 
And I would not be shocked if they're the ones that come away with Cole Hamels, which I think mm-hmm. pitching would help them out a lot. And yeah, I think they, they have a. I think if they bolster that uh, pitching a little bit, they have a real good shot to maybe win that division if the Astros falter a little bit. I have immediate pick envy. That was, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> yes, I I think they're a really interesting team. Until you Darvish got hurt, I kind of thought the Rangers would be a surprisingly good team. And then, I mean, it, it really seemed like he just blew such a hole in that rotation that yeah. already was missing so many guys. And is Martin Perez even back yet? I think he's still a few weeks away. But I, I don't – they have such a deep farm system, and they've got all these guys who aren't getting younger, just like the Yankees and Chu and Fielder and – I guess Hamilton. So, yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, going into the season, the story about them was, you know, what can they get back for Adrian Beltre? You know, right? But it, yeah, with the the Mariners and the Angels not looking too good, I yeah, I would not be surprised if they win that division. And I definitely, I mean, with you know the Red Sox sort of being unwilling to put their top guys in a deal for Hamels, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they come away with him and I wouldn't be shocked if he went, yeah, if he wins them the division. And they're sitting, uh, they're sitting five games out right now, which is definitely not an insurmountable number. No, I, yeah, I, and I, who's, who's the closest to them? Like, are they, if the season ended today, would they be one of the wild cards? I assume they no, would be. No, they, they're right? they're pretty far back actually in the wild cards. I just pulled up the standings. They're uh, what's it? They are coming into today. They were seven back of the second wild card. Second wild card is really is really bunched up. Bunch of teams uh, two games out. Right. Uh, Ranger Rangers are kind of in this area where they're they're further back than teams like the uh, the Angels. But they are uh, much, much, much closer than teams like uh, uh, Cleveland and Boston. Yeah, yeah, and but I think if you add, you know, a good player to that rotation, I think you know, and because what are the Angels going to do? The Angels can't do anything, right? They, who, like, what? What can the Angels put in a trade? That's yeah, true. That's true. And I mean. Already, he'll spend money most of the time, but it's always kind of weird when he chooses to tighten the purse strings. And I just don't know if they can even add a significant contract, let alone you yeah. know, give somebody something good enough to really change what they're doing. So, yeah, and I think you know somebody like the Blue Jays. I think they're still playing for you know next year, given you know all the rookies they have and the injuries those rookies have had so i yeah i don't see them making a huge move you know it's it's interesting you say that mikey it's interesting (laughs) you say that because i had i had for my buying team i had the toronto blue jays and and i and actually you know i think it's because you know some of their some of their guys are uh you know are getting up there a little bit like these are you know, having having uh, Bautista and and Carnacion, they're they're in their thirties. You know, they might still have 
have a year or two left in them, but they're but they're raking right now. Um, and and uh, Donaldson is having an awesome year as well. And you know, Burley is. I don't know, doing burly things, right? Like, but but he's thirty six, and Ari Dickey is forty, but also ageless. So who knows? Um, and, but I also think they have, uh, you know, they have some of the pieces where they can go out and they can add, uh, you know, they can add a top flight reliever. Maybe they can go out and they can add another starter to, you know, fill in the spot that they thought Strowman was going to be able to to occupy. Um, you know, for yeah. for at least the rest of this season. Well, you know, actually, that that might make a lot of sense because I wouldn't be surprised if Anthopoulos thinks about it in terms of you know his job mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. the playoffs this year. So right, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't be. That, that's a good point. Yeah, and and I figure you know they spent uh, you know spent a lot of money on on you know the first probably two years of Russell Martin. So like you gotta you gotta. Sure you know kind of they they have this window right where where Martin Encarnacion Donaldson and Bautista are all kind of hitting well and at the same time so you know this is at at a point where the AL East is for the taking right like this is a it it, yeah. it screams go for it to me yeah i i like that one too we all picked teams with Pretty good offenses and at least one arm short rotations in the right. American League. Do you yeah. do you this think that we're overestimating the impact that making a trade like like because I know I picked the Yankees feeling like they're not a playoff quality team at this moment, mm-hmm. but they're not that far from one. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking a good starter can can make up that gap. But do you think we're overestimating that? I don't know because the but, you know, the entire AL outside of, you know, a couple teams is just like this, you know, morass that, you know, it's like these, all these teams bunched together. So maybe the team that can, you know, get a Cole Hamels or something is the team that, you know, has a good chance of busting out, you know? Yeah. Of like uh, that's, that that's possible. center. Yeah. The thing I wonder is with such a balanced league or, a flawed league, or whatever you want to call this league, this <laughs> this strange uh, organization of talent, is it going to be even harder to have that breakaway run? You know, is it going to be harder to guarantee that to yourself because you're not playing any strings of cupcakes, just like you're not playing any string of really difficult teams? Ooh, that's interesting, Matt, because you did you wrote about this. You wrote about this in the context of the Oakland A's uh, uh, last week and about how, you know, teams were able to separate themselves because they play uh, Cleveland the end of the season a couple of years ago. They played the, you know, 360 win teams in the last nine games to end the season yeah. and, they went, and they went on a 10 game winning streak and made the playoffs. Right. So like it's it's a, right. it, so so I I totally I totally hear what you're saying. But, but, you know, I, I, I feel like Mikey is, is on point with this sort of like, you know, even though there's, there's not a lot that kind of separates the teams right now, they're all kind of, I feel like they're, they're all kind of, yeah, they're, they're all bunched together, but they're all okay. You know, none of them, 
I feel like none of them are the twins where we look at them and we see some obvious regression about to set in, right? And yeah. and you know, I'm I mean maybe you are just playing for a streak. You know, maybe you are just playing to see, you know what, if we can go make this move, if we can if we can win, you know, go on a go on a 12 and 12 and 2 run sometime in uh sometime in August, maybe that's enough to maybe that's enough to to, you know, pull away and really, you know, get a hold on one of these wild card spots. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree with it, what you guys are saying, too. You know, I, I think that's the thing to play for uh, when you're thinking about buying at the deadline, because we've seen it from some team every year for the last three or four. Mm. It, it just seems to be <clears throat> with the way the schedules work these days with so much interdivisional play. The other thing I'm wondering then, I didn't. I said the Yankees, and I still am standing with that pick. But do you guys think one of us should have picked the Royals? Alex Gordon's a free oh. agent at the end of the year. They're as starting pitching short as anyone, but they have this really talented group of position players, and they're in the weakest division in the league mm-hmm. with the White Sox who are awful and the Twins who are going to be pretty bad and the Indians who, meh, you know. Uh, so I think yeah. they're, <laughs> if there's some team that's got that soft stretch in the schedule combined with the talent to leverage it, I kind of feel like it's the Royals. And I don't know. Yeah. That's, I'm just that's thinking out loud point. here. I would, you know, the Royals, uh, yeah, I I was just basically agreeing with everything Matt just said. So. <laughs> no, and no, and Matt Matt makes a Matt makes a very uh, very sound point here, and uh, especially about about the Royals being the team to uh, to leverage it. Um, and you know what they uh, you know they're 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 first place in the Central right now by a pretty uh, by an okay margin. By okay margin, five five games or so uh, over a over a fading team, but uh, you know they probably probably would be good for them to add something to hold off those tigers, right? Yeah, the argument against them buying is, or the strongest one is probably that that do they even need it? If we think that probably the rotation is going to be better in the second half than it was in the first, but I don't know if you think the tigers haven't played up to their level over the last couple of months, then, uh, yeah, you could make a case for the Royals. Let's transition right now to to the losers here. Uh, who do you have selling at the deadline? Uh, Mikey, who is selling for you? Oh, okay. Well, this is going to get a little bit into, like, fantasy mode for me because I'm picking the Rockies and sort of... But, <laughs> The sounds that came out from, you know, the the hierarchy over there made it sort of seem like after this season, if, you know, nothing looked better, then, you know, they'd blow the whole thing up. Um, but I personally am hoping that this first half of the season has looked so bad to them that they'll just, you know, figure they won't mind moving it up. Uh uh, half a season, if you know things look like it would be amenable to that. Um, obviously, the two big things are Tulo 
and uh, Carlos Gonzalez. And Carlos Gonzalez is, you know, uh, it's hard to figure out because he's, he's been hurt so much lately and he's owed a lot of money and people might have legit questions about whether or not he's worth that money right now. Um, but Tulo is not getting paid an insane amount of money and he's signed for a fairly long time and he's been healthy so far this year. And when he's healthy, you know, I think still one of the top five players in baseball. So I think, if a team made a good offer for Tulo at the deadline, I'd be inclined to take it now. And a lot of that involves, you know, um, Tyler Matzik, who is a big part of the Rockies' future, has not looked good and is actually not pitching anywhere right now. He's on a mental break, which is not good. Uh, Eddie Butler, it's who's good a big for part him. of the future, hasn't looked good. It's good for him. I yeah, hope, oh, uh, it's great for him. You know, he I went hope... back home. I hope he's doing great. Yeah. 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 Not good yeah. for your favorite baseball uh, Eddie team. But... No. Eddie Butler um, had to go down to AAA because he wasn't throwing strikes. John Gray has looked good at AAA, but you know he's just John Gray. So these pitchers that they had, thinking for the future, there's not a ton of good news coming out in that direction. So I think they might feel like they have to, you know, add more names to that conversation via uh, a Tulo trade. Maybe to the Yankees. Maybe I saw I saw Bowden today was saying that either of the New York teams would be a good fit for Tulo. So I assume they'd give us Gregorius. But yeah, and the Mets are always in that conversation. Obviously, and they're a good fit, but you know who knows what the Mets are going to do and give it a moment. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm hoping that's where I'm at right now in my Rockies fandom. Even though I love Tulo so much, I just yeah, that's where I'm at. So what what is it that so you're you're a Rockies fan, uh, Mikey? What what sort of was the at what point did you look at this and say, you know what? Like you, this is to, for me. Yeah. This. Well, <laughs> at, what, <laughs> at what point? Did, at what point did you look at it and say, you know what? It's it's time for us to trade our best player, or it's time for us to trade, like this face of the franchise, type guy. Yeah. Um, probably two years ago. Two years ago was a real, you know, nature. Or even last year, where they had to use so many pitchers, and you know there was just, they used like I think they may be close to the record of most starting pitchers used in a season, and because it just became more achingly and achingly clear that there's no real compelling uh, starter talent, you know, on this club, and the organization has not shown. A compelling ability to draft that talent and like we're all pretty aware that you know no free agent starters are going to come to Denver anytime soon whether it's because Denver we don't have the money or because you know you don't go to Coors if you have the option not to so I think the only way they can really sort of start something over is to get rid of their best player unfortunately because right now they're trying to do this middle of the road thing that's not really working for them and hasn't worked for you know over five years 
So I think it's time. Yeah, and they've just been so married to that. Every year you kind of wait to see, are they going to pull the trigger on some measure of selling? And like the last actual seller trade they made was Ubaldo, Mm -hmm. uh, which didn't work out that well. But it was a good move in its conception. They shouldn't probably have settled for so low a price. But, you know, Pomerantz and White, two straight first-round picks who are good arms, Yes, we'll take them and we'll try them. That's what they should be doing. Yeah. Instead, that what was it? Just last year, they were holding on to Mike Kadire, like you know, like yeah. he was going to yeah. do something Absolutely. for them. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree. I, mean, I think the last, they've got to got to do it. Yeah, and the last big seller move they made before that was you know getting rid of Holiday, which was sort of a you know contract thing anyway but they got cargo back in that so it's not like you know the entire sense memory of the front office is inherently negative in that regard right no yeah i'm i'm looking up real quick what the cardinals or what the um what the rockies got for larry walker do you remember? Do you happen to know offhand, Mikey, what the Rockies got I for Larry Walker? Know. Hold on, I'm just pulled up Baseball Reference. Uh, let's see, 2004. Uh, Luis Martinez and Chris Narvison. <laughs> hey, Narvison had a big league career. That's not a complete loss. Yeah, that's not terrible. Deadline deal for an expiring contract. A lot of times you don't get anybody. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, 2004 Larry Walker isn't exactly, you know. Yeah, it was 2005 and 6 and 7 Larry Walker that killed us. Yeah. Us. Sorry. Us. <clears throat> the Cubs. The Cubs. Killed right, the Cubs. right, right, right. <laughs> killed the Cubs. Hey, I'll, st- I'll, st- I'll still say us. I'm not, I'm not one of those sticklers for... I actually am kind of, but when I cast my memory backward to high school me, high school me was was not a stickler. <laughs> high school <laughs> me was all about the best, so. I know that life. I know that yeah. life, Matt. All right, my my seller team uh, for for the love of Eric Roseberry is the Cincinnati Reds, and uh, <laughs> I think. I think the idea is that they're gonna be looking to sell anyway after the trade, after the All Star break. Um, you know, let's just let's keep it together till the All Star break because we have the game at home and that's a thing. Um, but yeah, they they really gotta. They have some talent that's not coming back. Uh, you know, they got a, it's, it's, it's mostly Cueto, it's mostly Cueto, and it's, it's some of, uh, uh, you know, it's some of, uh, Chapman, but, you know, also, also Marlon Bird, if you can do it, but, yeah, Red, Red's gotta move some dudes. Mike Leak wouldn't be bad. Yeah, Mike Leak wouldn't be bad. If Leak gets hot for like five starts, they're gonna get something, something pretty nice for Mike Leak, and and that'll be that'll be cool. You know what the Reds are? What are the Reds? They they're like 
They're like <laughs> any of the Republican candidates for the presidency the last two elections. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Hey, hang with me here. Cause, okay. Because see... Because they wear red. <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah, that. I mean, I'm not per se rooting for the reds. But I just... I can see the horrible, god-awful thing that is about to be the Reds if they don't turn turn it around and make good decisions instead of bad ones really quickly. And I want them to do that just so I don't have to see the carnage. But I, I, a little part of me knows that that's not going to... Like, they, they'll probably trade Johnny Cueto. It probably won't be a good trade. They'll probably sit on a roll this Chapman, and next spring training he'll probably have Tommy John surgery. And the Reds, they're headed for Pirates land from like 92 to 2012 Pirates. And I hope they prove me wrong here. But it just feels like that organization hasn't made a good decision since they signed Araldus Chapman, maybe. (laughs) And like they're, they're falling in slow motion and every other team in their division is making great decisions every day. And the Reds are sitting here with a manager who doesn't know what he's doing and a bunch of assets that they should have sold already and they're risking getting very little for and a team that's going nowhere. And, oh, it hurts. And I don't even want them to succeed, but I just don't want them to fail this badly. So you're saying there's a non-zero chance the 2016 red season is the metaphorical equivalent of uh, Donald Trump running for president? <laughs> it's I I hope I hope not. And honestly, there is there's a little bit of a floor under the Reds because Joey Votto's there, mm. and they've got the weird thing is there's always like two prospects in their system that are right on the cusp of the big leagues that I kind of like, mm-hmm. and they're not bad at, at collecting young arms. They've got a decent little young rotation right now. I just don't trust them at all. I think they're about to just completely self-destruct by missing a huge opportunity to do what they can't do otherwise, which is keep up with the rest of this uber-talented division. So, so, so is there is there a window for the Reds by, or like when does their window open then if they if they punt right now though, like if they if they if they trade dude and I'm I'm the guy who says the Reds should sell but like if if they if they trade their guys they're basically punting a couple years like what when does their window start to open back up. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the question. Uh, Obviously, I think part of their reticence to sell is, is, oh God, is less about like that PR stuff and Bob Castellini wanting to win even when he can't win and more about, yeah, if we punt, when do we have another chance? But they don't have a chance right now. And all that's going to happen is you're, you're going to lose the opportunity to cash in a roll this Chapman for something really, really good. I think what the Astros proved especially is that if you press the button and just start leaning on it and turn everybody into as many assets as you can, you'll turn it around quicker than it feels like you will. The Reds probably aren't 
if the Reds do nothing, they're not going to win again until 2023. If the Reds blow it up right now and get a bunch for some of these guys, they've got a shot in 2019 because there are decent players here and there are decent players coming already that aren't in the organization yet. So, you know, it's it's not next year and it's probably not the year after that, but things always open up beyond that. You can't predict anything. Yeah. And if the Reds are accumulating young talent for the next 18 months or more, then, you know, they're going to be good. All right. That was impressively specific. Yeah. <laughs> 2023. <laughs> Waiting for 2023. Well. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Um, I should I should have used the presidential election year, but I didn't. <laughs> 2024 2024 sure right, yeah. sure right yeah. around the sorry eric had to push it back a year didn't didn't move it up to 2020 um all right matt do you have a uh, do you have a team that should sell this deadline yeah um mikey's division the padres oh the padres. and uh it's kind of sad i i i can't prove this but i feel like sam miller is sad the padres haven't worked out he was so he was so <laughs> impressed by some of those preller moves but it just felt like preller hit a couple of buttons and saw the lights go up on the screen in front of him and liked it and then just started pressing buttons indiscriminately because he's got to do it now <laughs> and they gave away so much future value for a team that's not going to end up doing anything and after the year, they lose Justin Upton. And, you know, the even like Andrew Kashner and Tyson Ross, who still feel like they're under control forever, really aren't. Like, they've been around longer than you think. And they're tied to all this money that looks really bad in Matt Kemp and even kind of Kimbrell. And they don't have to trade those guys, per se. But I want to see them make sure to get something good for Justin Upton. Um, you know, probably one of Kashner and Ross deal away because, you know, one of those arms is going to blow out anyway. And even if you bet on the wrong one, at least you brought something back for the other guy that helps you build toward the future. And they didn't, they gave away their top two would-be draft picks by signing Shields and trading a pick for Kimbrell. They are just so bereft of prospects because they traded like 40% of their top 30 this winter and they're not winning. And so I think they've got to do something that reloads them for the future, even though beyond Upton, there's not like an ideal guy to say, that's the one we move. They've still got to, you know, it's Preller. So hopefully he, he finds the Avenue to do that. But well, what do you do? Make, uh, make like four trades in a day during the winter meeting. So, so, I mean, imagine the, imagine the uh, flurry of moves on, uh, you know, July 30th. Padres are just a completely different team by the 31st. And it pains me, it pains me too, because I, uh, so I wrote the Padres preview uh, for Banished to the Pen. I wrote the, you know, the Padres in a box. And uh, yeah, my dog is upset at the Padres too. Um, for not being able to put it together, and uh, you know, yeah, and they they got they gotta sell, they gotta sell, and it's it's really too bad because I I wanted them to just put it all together and have a year, and then 
whatever the hell happens after that happens after that. But they couldn't even do that, and they're gonna finish. They're gonna finish a few games within 500, like the Padres always do, and it seems like are just destined to do for forever. Right, and that's a worse position than yeah. ever to be in because you need every you need every loss to get more uh, pool money in the draft and in free agents. Uh, you know, international free agency, and just to get, you know, like this year, they signed Shields and gave up the 13th pick to do it. That pick used to be protected under the old CBA, but now you've got to be one of the 10 worst teams in the league. So, you know, they're going to end up in that uncomfortable in-between spot again unless they figure out some way to get aggressive. Yeah, it was a, I mean, it was probably, you know, you could probably argue like a net good for the fan base and stuff, you know, for them to go all in like this because it made people excited about the Padres for the first time since forever. But it was also sort of a weird time to go all in because, you know, you have the Dodgers monolith that's not going anywhere. And, you know, the Giants just won the World Series. You know, so, I mean, it, it was definitely an oddly timed thing, even if you could argue it was a good thing. Yeah, those those uh, pacify the fan base winters never seem to go well. That was the same thing that the that the Blue Jays did with those trades that with the Marlins and the Mets that winter. And it's the same thing that the White Sox did this winter. And it's, you know, 0 for 3. Cool. Yeah. Got it. Well, you know, and even when uh, even when a pacify the fan base uh, winter does go well, I I'm thinking of the uh, the Cubs between '06 and '07. Then uh, you know, it's a sort it's a sort of thing that even if even if executed well, can uh, really you know mean bad things for the franchise even. Uh, you know, a couple years down the line, or in the case of the Cubs, you know, uh, an off-season hangover that really lasted until, like, 2010. Yeah, yeah, and the Padres didn't go to the same extremes of spending money, but uh, the amount of future value traded for present was probably, probably even higher, so. Yeah, certainly, certainly. All right. So, do you guys think that? Um, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Go uh, for it. Go for it. Do you guys? Do you guys think that reason will win out in Minnesota, and they won't, you know, do anything dumb? <laughs> just because I the team almost, happens to be good right now at this moment. Yeah, I almost picked them as my seller, but just to point out that they could sell in a very non-traditional way, where they still actually get better in you know this season um i don't know if it's actually going to work out for them but they have like seven starting pitchers for five spots at the moment uh with Irvin Santana about to come off the suspended list and they also have Trevor Plouffe at third base who's he's legit it took me a while to trust it and it took him a long time to get there but he's a 29-year-old having his second straight well-above-average season as a third baseman. Uh, just kind of does everything pretty well. But they have Miguel Sano, I mean, pretty much ready for the majors. And maybe they don't think he's going to play third base, but 
I think it would be worth trading Ploof for future stuff, bringing up Sano, not losing anything, gaining nothing either, probably. You know, you probably even get a little worse this season, but the fan base doesn't have to feel that way. And, uh, you know, it can be a, a backdoor way of, of, yeah, saying we're not actually good this year, but this doesn't throw away the decent season we've had, and it makes us better in two years. Uh, yeah. And they might be able to do the same thing with someone on that starting rotation, although it's a funky bunch there. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, that's, it's interesting that you that you bring up the twins there, Matt, because I, or Mikey, well, both of you, um, in that, you know, if as, as we go to the, the final go-round here of teams that we have standing pat i had the twins as my stand pat team and I, matt i i think you do make a you do make a compelling case for um you know for being able to to move some pieces and and still get better um but i'm i'm kind of looking at it as as a you know what we're still we're still over 500 um we're we're still in the running for something, right? And it's it's something and I know we don't like we we just railed against, you know, pacify the fan base moves. Um but you know, you're half a game from a wild card spot at least right now, as we're sitting here before July starts. And, you know, I, I don't I don't view them as a team that would go into July as sellers, but I think they also know that they're not this good yet, so they wouldn't necessarily be buyers uh, either in terms of selling off their future talent and or or selling off too much of their future talent in order to improve a little bit this year. Yeah, and I, honestly, I'm... I'm AJ Preller without the salary. I, I'm probably the guy who's always going to push one more button or pull one more lever than than a reasonable person would. <laughs> like the Twins are, are an extremely conservative organization. They're not thinking like me, so I don't think they're going to do this stuff. I'm just talking about what I might do if I was in their situation. There's definitely something to every season's sacred. If you're six games over 500, you can't go selling on that team. You know, that, that's just a terrible message. And and not just to send to the fans, but to your players and your coaches and your, you know, front office assistants, everyone. Um, I think the Twins will probably basically stand pat, maybe make a nominal buyer trade like the, like the 2011 and 2012 Pirates did. Where, yeah, we're, we're in contention right now, but we know we're not really in contention. So we're going to trade a 27-year-old uh, first-base non-prospect for Derek Lee. Uh, something like that. You know, mm. I think they're going to stay small, stay within themselves, but they're probably not going to do anything even as aggressive as what I'm describing with Plouf. For sure, for sure. All right. Uh, let's go around to... Mikey, Mikey, do you have a standing pat team? Um, yeah, I I think that odds are the White Sox will stand pat. I know a lot of people 
want them to, you know, trade. And I think the smart thing would be for them to do that. But I think that front office might be stubborn enough to, you know, not want to do that so soon after buying in so hard. They didn't they didn't give much much up in terms of, you know, prospects and trades or anything. They just signed a bunch of guys. So it's not like their farm system is in disrepair. Although it sort of is, but that's just because they're the White Sox. So, you know, I I definitely think they should, but I don't think they will. Yeah, the White Sox, I find the White Sox interesting. Um, they, By the way, they just took a 2-1 a to lead on the Cardinals uh, in the 11th inning somehow. Um, because I guess that's that's what happens sometimes. I don't know. Um, but the I find the White Sox uh, White Sox interesting because they were almost my uh, they were almost my hold team, um, except I figured they would still try and sell off enough of their kind of around the edges pieces at the deadline, so much so that they would just be considered a seller. Um, because I don't, I don't see them as a team that's going to go like all out right now in terms of moving sale or Abreu, but I think everybody on the next level is movable and I could see them, you know, I could see them doing that. Definitely Samarja, um, maybe a guy like Adam Eaton too, um, you know, if LaRoche turns it around, he might have some value. Probably not David Robertson this year, but maybe in the off season or next season. Like there there are some pieces here where where uh where I feel like they can sell off. Um but I but you're right in terms of the Sox. I could also just see them, you know, standing pat saying uh, and justifying the standing pat by saying that, you know, we underperformed in the first half. We're gonna we're going to progress uh, the rest of, you know, our guys are going to turn it on a little bit and we expect them to, to progress for next season. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying it's a, a knowing, you know, kind of a little bit about the White Sox. I feel like it's something that I could see them doing. But also in terms of this past offseason, yeah. even though they didn't trade, even though they didn't lose a lot in terms of prospects, they didn't their free agent signings cost them their second and third round picks this year. Um, so they had the first and then they didn't pick again until the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, but I think, you know, there's sort of a precedent for these sort of, you know, real buy-in teams to have, you know, the first year sort of be a flop, but then there'd be, they bounce back like the Blue Jays and, and the Rangers. <laughs> yeah yeah that, I, I had a feeling that's what you were saying and you're right um and i do think melky cabrera uh adam laroche alexia ramirez these three they've been atrocious like untenable you can't have them on a major league field except each one of them has at least six or seven seasons of being a good player that came right before that. <laughs> so what do you do with that? I think, I think being the White Sox, and if you've ever been to U.S. Cellular Field in September when the White Sox are bad, you know they don't want to sell because that 
is a horrible experience and they're they're losing money <laughs> by by opening the park mm-hmm. for those games. Uh, it's okay because the Bulls make enough money that Reinsdorf doesn't well, have to worry about it. Yeah, it just balances out. <laughs> but they've had enough of these guys with real track records of success who have been such massive failures. They'll wait until after the All-Star break at least, see if there's some sign of life, some some reason to think they could get to a wild card berth or, you know, or close enough. And I do think there's a chance they'll stand pat. I also think Samarja and Ramirez are free agents at the end of the year. If nothing materially changes by July 25th, they're going to trade those guys because they're not the kinds of guys you hold on to just based on on where they come from and where they're headed and all of that. But... I, they'll hold on for a while because I, I I picked this team to win the division, which was clearly stupid. And yeah, I was fooled, but their talent level is higher than their performance level to this point, and they know that, so they're going to hang on for a bit. Actually, you know, one of, one of my favorite—I shouldn't say favorite. I don't know if favorite is the right word, but in in my youth, as I first kind of started following baseball. Um, one of the one of my earliest kind of trading memories um, was in 1997, and the White Sox were in this kind of weird position. Like they're kind of in it, but kind of maybe not in it. Uh, but Cleveland is just really good, and they're kind of running away with it. And so the Sox at the deadline. This was this was the year after they had spent a huge amount of money on Albert Bell and, uh, and, you know, had that, had that, uh, had him with Frank Thomas in the middle of the order. Um, but they traded, uh, three of their top pitchers at the deadline for prospects. They traded them all to the San Francisco Giants. Um, and it, it was, it was something that I feel like it took the Sox as a, a franchise to it took a while for them to recover from that it was wilson alvarez danny darwin and roberto hernandez all going to the san francisco giants for a package of prospects the most of most of whom actually turned out to be like major league middle relievers um the most notable of whom was keith folk um but you've also got bobby howry in there uh Mike Russo also, who was not a short, or who was a, a an infielder, but I feel like that's something that the franchise might have learned from and has tried to avoid, like making a big, like white flag type splash or unsplash. What's the reverse of a splash? Cannonball, I guess. Uh, <laughs> like into the into the trading pool in July, you know. Like it's it's something that turned the fans off for a while, and you know if. If 2005 never happened, they might still be talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that too, and that lingers. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it'll affect their decision-making, but they're going to be hesitant to, to sell. I know that. And I'll, I'll say this. The only, uh, the only Sox game I've ever been to in, December, in September was against Cleveland in 2005. So I don't... I, I, 
don't know the in-stadium experience for a, for, a, for a September Sox game that's in line with what you're describing, but I've seen it on TV, and uh, it makes Hawk Harrelson sad. All right. Uh, I think, I think well, the la- but I'm in favor of Hawk Harrelson being sad, though. I might have to reevaluate this. You know what? Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with Hawk Harrelson being sad in the grand scheme of things, uh, but it makes, it makes for some... Uh, uninteresting uh color color commentary um unless unless the the obvious silence is appealing to you (laughs) which sometimes it is sometimes it is which sometimes it is yeah um all right i think we have one more uh one more standing pat team uh and uh matt your your standing yeah. team. Yeah, uh, mine is the Giants, and mostly this is born of the Dodgers are quite a bit better than the Giants. Uh, the Giants would be vying for, but to me, a clear a clear third in the the race for two spots with the Pirates and the Cubs uh, for that wild card. And I know the Giants just won the World Series as the wild card entrant last year. I I wouldn't expect them to sell for sure, but I just don't know if you can justify with this team that has so many weaknesses. Not not true holes, but just there are places where they're just not very good, and I don't think they can uh, address them all. Uh, I don't think they can necessarily change their fortune with any move they make at the deadline there's certainly no reason to sell and and sort of abolish the goodwill from last year's championship already i think they might well be back next year but this year's team has a bunch of old pitchers and you know guys who are kind of having fluky success and hunter pence can't stay healthy for the first time in his life and i just don't I don't see a good enough reason for them to do much of anything either way. So they're an interesting team, but I think they'll stand pat. It's a good pick. See, okay, when I said interesting, they're not really interesting either. I was trying to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Madison Bumgarner yawning dot gif right now. We don't have to. We don't have to talk about them anymore. I I just don't think they're going to do anything, and I wanted to. Make note of that. <laughs> All right, thanks, Matt. That that was a good pick. I think uh, I do think the Giants are uh, are interesting in that regard. Um, All right. Well, that was that was uh, that was a lot of fun, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think as as kind of a wrap up thing, I I want to throw this question yeah. out. I want to throw this question out there to to the two of you. Um, I feel like June is this period in the baseball season, you know, it's it's after the beginning of the season where everybody's really excited, every team is in contention. You want to see you know how how your team does because, you know, hey, if you're if you're at 500 after uh you know, after May, hey, that could be a thing. Uh but June is also before this period in uh July, which 
is, of course, the trade deadline, like we've been talking about, but also it's the All-Star game, right? Regardless of what you think about the All-Star game, it's a thing. Uh, and then in August and September, of course, it's the, it's the home stretch of the baseball season uh, heading up towards the playoffs. So the question that I wanted to throw out to the two of you is in this sort of, I think of it kind of like the doldrums of the baseball season, you know, this, this period of time in between these two times that are kind of really exciting. Um, what is something that you watch for in the games, in articles, in narratives, whatever? What is something that you look for in this part of the season to kind of keep you into baseball, keep your interest up? Um, I, uh, for me, and this is a very particular answer um, to Rockies fans, it's any reason to feel hopeful at all about the Rockies. Because <laughs> every Rockies team looks at least pretty good in May, and then June is, I, I would not be surprised if statistically June is the worst month like over every season in the history of the Rockies because they are awful in June, like historically. So, you know, anything you can grab onto and say, this is something, this is a reason that, you know, not everything is terrible is important. Um, and thankfully, you know, Nolan Arenado has had a great June. So I have that. And DJ LeMahieu still looks pretty good. So I have that. Ah, so I have those two things. Yeah. Yeah the great offensive breakout of DJ LeMayhew, who, which might get him into positive offensive war. After we're done recording the podcast, I'm going to see how Ian Stewart's doing. <laughs> In Japan? <laughs> oh, boy. Just culturally, that's... Uh, I, I hope... Is he really in Japan? I hope not. I have no idea. <laughs> Okay, he's like a he's like a Brad Penny level bad fit for Eastern culture. He, <laughs> <laughs> he could not not he would not do well there. He would like ask for like forks and knives like a year in. He would still go and be like, "Can I get a no- can I get a fork over here?" <laughs> well, you know, Mikey, I think you're onto something there because what you know the obvious thing that separates this. Uh, at least for for my team, for the Cubs, what separates this Cubs season from the last few Cubs seasons is that they're good in June. You know, we are good, right? I mean, the 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 Cardinals series notwithstanding, the Cubs have been you know putting together some nice runs here. So it's obviously ca- so that is what has helped me get through the month of June at least this year because I know you know last year was hard. And actually what got me back into the Cubs last year was was the Samarja trade, you know, and it was, you know, calling up minor leaguers down the stretch run. Like and that's and that's a saving grace for a bad team, right? Calling up uh calling up minor leaguers. But, you know, being good, being good through the end of June definitely helps. Yeah. Yeah. I I just want to resoundingly agree with you that June is the toldrums of and this is my first season of 
continuously covering baseball. You know, I, I wrote a blog for each of the last several years that would noticeably go dark from like late May until almost the trade deadline or shortly after the trade deadline. Cause that was an option and now it's not. And it's so hard to write in June. <laughs> you just, you sound like a jerk if all you do is say none of this is real but at the same time a lot of this still isn't real like the twins are still above 500 but the twins have also been bad for most of the month it's we're still in this range where nobody's fully come back to their level and there are still people playing at this uh you know thing that's beyond their talent but you have to start really making hard decisions about when it's real and when it isn't And it gets harder and harder to find the, like you said, sort of the narrative lines to pick up and run with and which ones to wait and see on. Because, and just speaking as a writer, you can't just not talk for the month of June. But speaking as a fan too, it's like, this is the time when a lot of fans, I think, get tuned out. I think this is why baseball isn't what, football is to the country right now is because we have this this stretch of like six weeks between Memorial Day and the All-Star break where it's hard to sustain because you know that the season can't possibly be decided unless your team is truly awful like really really bad like the Phillies the season can't really be decided by the end of June but at the same time the shine is off the apple of new baseball and you just don't know what's real and what isn't. And you're trying to decide how much to invest in your team for the year. You're trying to, you know, feel out whether there's a, a really a new superstar or if it's a guy who's going to recede into anonymity almost immediately. It's so, it's definitely the hardest time of year. I, I don't think there's any question. We're getting to the point where all of Russell Carlton's benchmarks for when stats start to be maybe not reliable, but indicative of something when we're crossing them all. And yet we know that in a lot of cases, we're still not, you know, for that particular player, it's still not going to be indicative of anything. So it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why we look for, you know, the draft's gotten gotten a lot more popular lately. Mm -hmm. One reason is, is this, um, all-star voting has to be a story like honest to god does the nba i don't know for sure but i'm pretty sure the nba doesn't have updates like every week about how close your guy is to making the all-star team they actually do yeah yeah they actually that must be terrible (laughs) they they actually you know they, they actually do release the release the periodic updates and uh you know Actually, you know, you know what I think would be good for late June or early July, and it's something that was proposed. I I read it online. I I forgot who wrote it, so I I don't know who to attribute it to at the moment. But if if either of you saw this piece, then please, uh, you know, attribute it to to the right person. But they have all star voting for one day, and it <laughs> is, and it's huh. set up. It's set up like the the national presidential election where every time zone it's open for a set amount of it's open like 6 a.m to to 7 p.m every time zone and it's so like if 
you know, it sets up these scenarios where if, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's just say that a player from the, uh, you know, from the, uh, uh, the Mets, their, their, uh, the, you know, a player from the Mets is at the same position as a player from the Giants who, uh, and, and, but the voting is close. The voting is closed in the East Coast, but it's still open on the West Coast. Do the Giants fans go out and turn out for their player to make sure that they get on the All-Star team, right? Like, right. That, that could be, this could be compelling television, I suppose. Um, you know, if it's something that maybe you schedule on a league-wide off day or something to really get the attention going to it. Like, and it's something that can break up late June, you know, as opposed to just me watching AJ Burnett starts to see if he might actually make the all-star team this year. And that's something I have no control over. It's not like I can go vote for AJ Burnett to make his first all-star game. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of bad stories make a lot of headway in June because there's nothing else to do. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to talk about the games analytically. The games themselves, I think take on a, Sort of, I don't know. I think this is the time of year where teams kind of get stuck waiting. You know, even the players almost seem in between. Like, they don't know whether to... The quality of play seems to sag to me in June. And I think it's because the weather's warming up and guys are kind of trying to keep up with that physically. The schedule is just getting to the point where you're playing every day, but you are playing every day Mm -hmm. and the travel is really tough and yeah the trade deadline used to be june 15th june would be a lot more interesting if that were still true wouldn't it wow that's so early until 19 1985 was the first year with july 31st until then it was june 15th and that's where we get the idea that august is the dog days because by then Teams that knew they weren't going to win that year had made up their minds, traded their players, and they've been gone for six weeks. And now August comes, and you're just you're hopelessly bumping along. I feel like June is the new August in that that time of just kind of dragging and trying to get through and trying to stay out of limbo and trying to stay connected to all points of the game. For fans and for players, comes a month and a half before the trade deadline because that's just where it has to fall. Uh, anyway. Well, I did not know that about the trade deadline. And now, uh, now I, I wasn't alive for this, but now I can look back at the Rick Sutcliffe trade that happened on June 13th, 1984, and realize that that was a deadline deal and not, yep. and not you know, Cleveland deciding a month ahead that they want to, you know, trade Sutcliffe. Right. All right, well, that's going to about do it for this edition of the Banish to the Pen podcast. Uh, let, me just, uh, let me just send it around. Uh, uh, Mikey, where can people read you? Where can they follow you on Twitter? Is there anything you'd like to plug? Do you have anything coming up? What's shaking? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm looking for a job, so if anybody has any leads in the Denver area, that'd be cool. Hire Mikey. Um, he can be That's he like, can be the general manager of the Colorado Rockies. I think you're qualified. <laughs> it's like seventy five percent a joke. Um, 
uh, I show up on Banish of the Pen sometimes, and probably more once we get out of June, for the reasons people just talked about. Um, and you can follow me on F-U-Q, gotta spell it out, F-U-Q, the heck, uh, on Twitter. So yeah, that's me. All right, Matt, same thing. Where can people read you, your Twitter handle, anything you got coming up? Sure. I am at, well, my Twitter handle is at M-A Trueblood, and I tweet out most of what I write, so you can follow it there. I write at Baseball Prospectus, BP Wrigleyville, uh, once every four weeks for just a bit outside on Fox Sports, and there's going to be a, at mid-season, right, I think it's right at the All-Star break, we'll be releasing it. Uh, BP Wrigleyville is doing a a digital e-magazine that'll be available and I have a piece in there. So check that out. Obviously that's all cub stuff, but it's, it's pretty cool. It's Ooh, a good project. I, I will, be, um, I will be picking that up. Well, digitally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, my name, my name is Brandon. You can catch me on Twitter at Blee Internets, B-L-E-E Internets, like more than one internet. And then, uh, you can find me writing occasionally at Banish to the Pen, uh, usually in the Banish to the Pen and Effectively Wild Facebook groups. Uh, and that will do it for episode 25 of the Banish to the Pen podcast. Uh, we will be back soon, probably with Ryan Sullivan. <laughs> Probably with Ryan Sullivan, uh, the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. Uh, But until then, remember, vote Royals and be nice to your fellow listeners.